Thank you. Hi, everybody. Uh, it's great to be here. My name's Ivan, if I haven't met you before. Um, like Brett, I'm an elder uh, at this church. Um, and like Brett, I have some white hairs. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> had to say it, man. <laughs> but I'm usually at the, I'm usually at the Bankstown um, church. Uh, and so uh, it's great to be here. It's really great to see so many old friends and familiar faces. And I mean, I'm really encouraged to hear all that's happening at church and to see so many of you still walking with Jesus. Um, so it's a privilege to be able to bring the Word of God to you today. Just keep your Bibles open to John 14. Okay, so it's, uh, cast your mind back, it's uh, Wednesday morning, the 8th of November, 2023. Uh, you wake up, you get out of bed, you brush your teeth, you um, get changed, and then you pick up your phone. And straight away you notice that there's something wrong. There's no signal. So what do you do? You restart it, you take out the SIM card, you blow the slot, you blow your SIM card, you pop it back in, standard protocol, no good. Does that sound familiar? Ah, the Optus outage. I wonder if you were affected by that on that dreaded, what was it, a Wednesday morning. <laughs> um, so my phone wasn't working, uh, but thankfully I wasn't too affected. I still was able to get by my day, but it caused some major disruption, didn't it? Um, we had uh, businesses not able to process any transactions. We had um, businesses not able to operate if they were on the cloud, um, if their system was on the cloud and they, they couldn't do their work. And so the Optus outage, it reminded us that we actually rely a lot on our telcos, don't we? Without realizing, we wake up each day and we expect our phone to work so that we can scroll Facebook or Instagram or whatever we're doing um, in the mornings. So we put our faith in the telcos. And what else do we put our faith in? What about the RBA? See, if you bought a house in the middle of COVID, um, you would have heard the RBA boss announce that interest rates would stay low until, quote, 2024. You might have bought a house, calculated the repayments, and said, you know, we can do this, um, based on that forecast by Mr. Lowe. Well, here we are, about to enter 2024, and what is it, 10 rate rises? I don't know, how many rate rises later? We can see that the RBA didn't deliver that we can't put our faith in the RBA. Now, I'm a big NBA fan, and in August last year, one of the most famous basketball players came to Australia for the first time in decades, and his name was Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq. And so fans lined up for hours, you know, wanting to see him, getting a, to get a glimpse of the big diesel. And, you know, some people paid $650 or more to try to get a ticket for a personal meet and greet with this guy. Um, but unfortunately, more than half of the people who paid for the tickets didn't even get to see him, let alone meet him, because um, there were just too many fans that showed up. And so some would say that Shaq didn't deliver. And so we put all of our trust and faith into someone or something. We all do it. No matter who you are, no matter what faith background you come from, we are all wired to have faith in some form or degree. And so I had a Google, and the word faith, it means complete trust or confidence in someone or something. But as we've seen with Optus, the RBA, with Shaq, the things and the people that we put our trust in can't always be trusted completely, can they? Often they let us down. And so how do we wisely go about 
trusting people? How do we know who or what we can put our trust in and what if they don't deliver? So, well, in this season of Advent, we want to ask those questions. We want to seek those answers. And by looking at the Bible in Jesus' first Advent, when he came into the world that very first Christmas. But before we get into it, why don't I pray for God to give us answers? Our Father God, as we enter into this Christmas season, this season of Advent, would you help us to remember the real reason for the season, that you came near to us in Jesus. And we pray this morning that you would pull our hearts closer to yours, such that we might be filled with a greater faith in your Son. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what is Advent? The month leading up to Christmas is typically known as the month of Advent, right? So it's a season in the church's tradition. It's kind of like um, Lent, how it leads up to Easter. Advent is that time that leads up to Christmas. And so you might have heard of those Advent calendars where each day you open up a sticker or a little drawer and you get those cheap plastic gifts, Advent calendars. Or you, um, yeah, and so the word Advent, it actually means arrival or coming. And so we might talk about the advent of the iPhone 15, or we might be awaiting the advent of hydrogen cars. Right? It is a, it's an advent season. It's a season marked by a sense of anticipation, awaiting, or uh, as we almost we almost put ourselves in the shoes of Israel, who for the longest time were waiting, the, was awaiting the advent of their Messiah, the arrival of a savior king who would bring about God's kingdom and his blessings. Advent is a time of patient waiting, and we too are a people in waiting. And so let me remind you of a couple of people in the Old Testament who waited. We have Abraham. Uh, God had made these big promises to Abraham, telling him that he would have lots of descendants and make him into a great nation. If you remember that story from um, Genesis. But do you know how long Abraham waited for a son? 25 years he waited before, between that first promise from God and holding his son Isaac. That was 25 years of waiting. We see Moses in Exodus, and Moses would lead Israel out of slavery of Egypt. Uh, He takes them toward the promised land, promised by God, where the land would overflow with milk and honey, and there would be peace. But how long does it take him to get there? It takes them 40 years of wandering around the desert. Forty years, and they groan, they wail, they wonder when God would lead them to this promised land. And then we see God's people Israel. 700 years before that first Christmas, Jesus' birth was predicted by this prophet. And he writes, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. See, Israel were waiting for a Messiah, a saviour king who would rescue them and bring God's kingdom and his blessings. They, they waited for over 700 years from this prophecy before that very first Christmas when it would be fulfilled. And so waiting is, was part of God's good plan for Abraham, for Moses, for Israel, and so it is for us today. But here's the thing, we we don't like waiting, do we? We live in this instant culture with instant gratification. If we want something, we get it quick. Um, Amazon Prime, same-day delivery, YouTube Premium, no ads, quick content. 
Even the idea of Googling. You know, we have to, used to have to flick through a dictionary to find the definitions. I just Google define, and you know, it pops up. Everything is so instant, and we don't like waiting. We don't want to wait for that RAV4 that people have been waiting ages for. We don't want to um, wait in line at Aldi. But more seriously, we're all waiting for something, aren't we? All of us are waiting for something. We, we all have unmet hopes that we are waiting to come to fruition, things that we wish God would give to us. Some of us are waiting from healing from illness or sickness. Some of us are waiting for a job to make ends meet. Maybe you're waiting to find a spouse, waiting to get married. See, we're all waiting for something. And sometimes our instant culture distracts us from that, but our deepest longing is for things to be made right, to have our desires met and our hopes fulfilled. And so Advent season is that time of waiting. As Israel waited, we too are awaiting people on this side of the cross. And we are awaiting the arrival or coming of the Saviour who will return in glory on that great day. But until that day comes, we all know, we're not immune to the difficulties. We still have trouble. No matter our religion or race or culture, we experience the difficulty of this imperfect world. And it's often in these seasons of waiting on God that we can feel that God is distant. We can feel our faith wavering. And so how can we trust a God that seems so far away? How can we trust that he will show up? Well, our passage today, John 14. Here we find that the disciples are in a similar predicament. They're confused. They're troubled by the news that Jesus is going to leave them. And so here's some quick fire, uh, just some context around this passage. So John chapter 13 to 17 um, is part of what the scholars call the farewell discourse. So in these chapters, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. As he heads towards the cross in chapter 17, um, and so he's heading towards the cross, and so this is when the disciples' world is going to be flipped upside down. Just before the passage in chapter 13, Jesus had told his disciples that he would die and that he would be betrayed. And so Jesus' disciples would have been devastated by this news. As devout Jewish people, they thought that Jesus was the guy, that he was their Messiah, their teacher, their king, who was going to rescue them from the sad lives that they lived under the Roman government. And he was going to bring them to heaven. But here we are, after centuries of waiting, and Jesus is going to die? Like, we've got to wrestle with that. Like, the disciples would have doubted. Maybe he wasn't going to deliver. And so knowing that his disciples are troubled, Jesus says these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He knew that they would soon see him hanging on the cross, a sight that would devastate them, and he shows them the remedy. And so from this passage, um, we've got three reasons why the disciples shouldn't let their hearts be troubled. Um, you can follow along on the outline um, if you have the app. And so hear these words, and um, I hope that we can put our faith more so in Jesus today. So verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So when Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me, he's saying that all of the fullness of God is in him. So all the fullness of God is in 
Jesus. The God of the Old Testament, who was with Abraham, with the Israelites in the desert, has revealed himself in Jesus. And so the disciples, being devout Jews, would have believed in the God of the Bible already. But their Jewish faith was different from the would-be Christian faith. Their Jewish faith was grounded in the unity and the oneness of God. But the Christian faith was grounded in Jesus, who was God. So they might have understood God as a father, but maybe not in a Trinitarian sense in the way that Christians would know God as Father, Son, and Spirit. And so these young, these new-ish Christians, the disciples needed to understand who Jesus was. In other words, they needed to believe that Jesus was God. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, believe in me, have greater faith. I am the Son of God, God incarnate, and I am here in front of you. And that's why Jesus says in verse 7, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, the disciples had seen that Jesus was divine, that he had the power to heal the sick, that he'd walked on water, cast out demons. They knew that he was more than a man. More than a man. They knew that he was from God, but... I'm not sure that they fully understood that Jesus was the very Son of God, God incarnate, God as a man, that Jesus was God himself. And so the nearness of God as a man must have been a difficult thing to process for them too. Because how could a holy, powerful God be sitting in front of them in the flesh, talking to them like a friend? How could a holy, powerful God stoop so low to serve them and even wash their feet? Well, that very first Christmas, we see that fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, where a child will be born called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel, it means God with us. The Christmas story celebrates how God stepped into human history as a man. And I love the words of the King of Kings song. Um, It goes, to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word, from the throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. That at Christmas we celebrate that God of heaven has come near, that he has come close to us in Jesus. And God is with us. And so the incarnation of Jesus, that God would become a weak and lowly man, it's a major point of confusion in other monotheistic religions, but it's a distinct feature of our Christian faith. And it's a wondrous, wondrous thing. It's that the divine became human in Jesus. It's often it can just be a theological concept, but it's God's love on display, that Jesus would be the bridge built from God to us. In the humility of the manger, we find a saviour who intimately understands our struggles, offering not only payment for our sins, but a tangible example of grace and humility. The incarnation is an invitation to embrace a God who didn't remain distant, but walked among us. It shows us that God did show up. He did deliver, going from the cradle to the cross to the grave, and paving the way for redemption and eternal life. Jesus tells his disciples that all they know about God is found in him, and knowing that should comfort their troubled hearts. God is with them. And I think we too can be challenged to have a stronger faith in Jesus today, to trust more strongly in him because he is God and because he has come near to us. 
Now, the second point is Jesus, um, he, Jesus comforts his disciples by assuring them that he'll prepare a place. So 14 verse 2, if you want to look in your Bibles with me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? What do you think that means when he says he will go and prepare a place? Do you think he's going to, I don't know, tidy up? You know when uh, you suddenly get the news that you're going to have guests over and you're like, quick, got to tidy up. And so you get all your junk and you throw them under the bed and you throw them in the drawer into your cupboard. For us, it's like our garage. Like, it's the best thing. We throw all of our stuff in the garage and lock it and like, don't go in there. It's an absolute, yeah, just, just, just no-go zone, <laughs> the garage. Um, what do you think he means when he says, um, I'm going to prepare the place? Is he, I don't know, going to go set up the Ikea furniture? Like, <laughs> is he going to make your beds with Egyptian cotton? Um, it doesn't seem like this is what Jesus is talking about, is it? Um, here's what I think. When Jesus says that he's preparing the way, I think he's preparing the path to access the Father's house. So access, right? So at this moment in time in John, the only person with access to the Father is Jesus. The only person that can access his house is Jesus, right? Because of sin, there is no access. There's no way to get to the Father on their own. Their Father's house is locked shut to sinners, See, sin is what separates us from a perfect God. We, we keep on wanting to live life our own way. We reject God's way and try to make up our own rules to suit our own desires. And we try to do better, but can never do enough on our own or by our own efforts. And so the Bible says, as we saw in the confession today, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when Jesus says he is preparing the way, he's going to make a way for sinners to enter into the Father's house. But how does he prepare the way? He prepares the way by going to the cross. His sacrifice on the cross becomes the bridge over sin's deep chasm, allowing us sinners to access the love and presence of our Heavenly Father. And through the cross, Jesus not only makes a way, but becomes the way for us to enter into the eternal house of God. While sin separates, the cross reconciles. It's kind of like Google Maps. You know when you're using Google Maps and you take a shortcut. <laughs> you, you go off track and try to go your own way and maps will try to redirect you back to the path, to the correct route. Well, in our rebellion against God, we often choose to go our own way. But Jesus has prepared the way to the Father, and he wants us to follow him in faith. And that's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so I wonder how your faith is going this morning. You might be here this morning searching, investigating, wanting to find out answers about God, wanting to have faith in Him. And that's great if that's you. Every week we have people um, coming into church, tuning in online who are searching, wanting to find answers. But I want to challenge all of us. Now, are, are we believing in Jesus? 
Is your faith in Him alone as the only way to the Father? Or are, we, are you striving or trying to find your own way? Do you notice that in this passage, the only thing that Jesus tells the disciples to do is this. Believe in me. To have faith in him. To trust him. He doesn't tell them to clean up the house, to prepare the way, to fix themselves up in order to get entry into the Father's presence. Jesus took care of that. At the cross, a great exchange happened where Jesus exchanged his purity for our dirtiness. His obedience was counted instead of our disobedience. It was his blood shed instead of ours. He was the faithful one, the perfect sacrifice, the obedient son, who prepared the way by going to the cross to die for you and for me. And so I think there's sometimes a temptation to feel that we do need to fix ourselves up, that we need to, I don't know, be more faithful, to be better, to not be so messy. Um, But friends, the whole reason why Jesus came into the world, the whole reason he died on the cross was for our messiness, for our stuff-ups. You don't need to fix yourself up. Come to him as you are. Let him wash your feet. Let him serve you and be your king. And how do you do that? You simply put your faith in him. Realize your need for him and ask him to forgive you, to shape you. Put your trust in his faithfulness and not your own. And once you've done that, know that he welcomes you with open arms into his father's house. And that brings me to our third point. I think it's been a while since all of us have traveled. I'm noticing there's more and more people starting to go on trips now overseas. Um, I wonder what's the longest time you've been away from home traveling. Um, for me, uh, it was straight after uni and before I started full-time work. We went for eight weeks. We spent, uh, me, me and a good friend of mine went for eight weeks on a sort of a short mission trip to China. Um, and at the end of that trip, we snuck in this one-week tour in Beijing. And so back then, that one week, back then the... Um, there was this tour agency offering these really cheap tours in China. It was like $99 for a whole week. <laughs> you, like, you get the hotels, you got the food. Did anyone, anyone been on a tour like that? 99 bucks? It was like, oh, we can't say no to that. Um, but you get what you pay for, right? So you kind of... <laughs> you kind of um, so I don't speak Mandarin, but it was a Mandarin tour. So I didn't understand a single word that the tour guide was saying. Um, same food every single day. We had... Um, Oh, I just remember we spent like three hours in a jade factory and like half an hour at the Great Wall. I'm like, come on. <laughs> you know, but, you know, we still got to see the Great Wall. We got to see Tiananmen Square. We still got to see all the sites. Um, so it was still, still good. still sort of worth it. But look, by the end of that trip, we were so homesick. Like, we, I just remember being on the bus with my headphones on, just like, oh, <laughs> I'm done, right? Like, we were in a country with... Like the air pollution was bad, I didn't know the language, the food was lame. I had cycled through the same sets of, like, five sets of clothes for eight weeks, like, because we were backpacking, right? I just wanted to come home, like, sleep in my bed, eat my mum's food, have a fresh salad. There was no place like home. And so Jesus promises that he'll come back and that he'll bring us home. So the place where Jesus is going... It's home. It's, it's to the Father's house in heaven. And 
there's something very comforting in the thought that the heaven we go to is our Father's house. The Father's house, it's the home for Jesus. It's the home for Christ and the home for Christians. It will be a place of rest, a place where the terrible S's of sin, suffering, sickness, sadness will be no more. It will be a place where Christ himself will be present. And so I wonder if you're homesick. Are you tired and worn and longing for something better? See, C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Another wisdom book in the Bible says that he has set eternity in the hearts of men. And so God has made every heart to long for something more than this transient world. And so it's only natural that we long for that better home. And so during Advent season, while we look back at that first Christmas, we also look forward. It's about looking forward to that day when Jesus is going to come back and bring those who believe in him home. And so as awaiting people, we are waiting on that time when Jesus is going to return. And there's, a, and, and, and there's a deep hope in that. There's a deep hope for Christians who know that their home is in heaven, that this world is temporary. It's like you're camping in a tent. You know, you tolerate the dropped toilets and the mozzies and the bad sleep, the storms. But one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to pack it all up and it's going to bring something better. And if our faith is in him, then that's what awaits us. We can finally find true rest in his presence. So what does that all mean for us? What does all that mean for us now? So we live in this time between these two advents, right? Between the ages, between Christ's first coming and his second coming. We're in this in-between age. And during this age, we live with this tension, don't we? We know that Jesus has come to prepare the way, to bring his kingdom. He's got every spiritual blessing is found in him. But it's going to come in full when he returns. And so during this season of Advent, we're supposed to feel that tension. We're supposed to lean into that tension to realize that we are indeed like people in exile, people who are longing for the kingdom to come. And so the Advent season is meant to build an instinct in us of patience, of waiting and expectation that the one who came is going to be faithful to come again. And so the whole point of Advent is to pull us into that deep longing and expectation for God's kingdom to come and thus fuel our faith in Jesus. And as we do that, we begin to understand that, you know, here's why Jesus taught us to pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the ultimate prayer of Advent. That that day is coming. Jesus is bringing it, but it's just not here yet. And so Advent is a season when we're supposed to feel that tension, shift gear a bit, and reflect on how our faith in Jesus gives us hope, gives us peace, shows us love, brings us joy. And here's the irony, though. 
Because we know Advent season, December, it's also silly season, isn't it? <laughs> it's, um, we just had Black Friday sales, Christmas parties, lots of plans, holidays, good time to rest, which is good. But it can be hard to really prepare our hearts for Christmas, can't it? I love that we sung Joy to the World, you know? Let every heart prepare him room. You know, our hearts can be so full, so crowded with other things in this Advent season that it makes it hard to truly celebrate that Christ has come near. It's hard to really reflect on why we need a saviour. So I wonder if our hearts are busy like Bethlehem. If we cast our mind back to that Christmas story, to that first Christmas when Joseph and a heavily pregnant Mary are knocking on doors to find a place to stay, and each, each innkeeper says, no, there's no room, there's no room, we're busy. I wonder if our hearts are also too busy, too full with the things of this world that there's no place for the things of God. And so during Advent season, there is a wisdom in using this set-apart time in the calendar to intentionally prepare our hearts for Christmas. And so let me just give us three suggestions that might help us to have a greater faith in Christ this, this Advent season. Number one, they'll be quick. Meditate on the fact that we need a saviour. See, if you don't need a saviour, then you don't need Christmas. Christmas won't have its intended effect until we feel desperately the need for a saviour. And so find an Advent devotional, read through the Christmas story in the gospel, spend time in self-examination. Where are the areas in your life where you need greater faith? Where are the areas of your life where you're going your own way? Come to God in confession. Bring that to Jesus. How can you grow in your love and knowledge of Jesus? How can you know him more and more in this Advent season? Meditate on the fact that we need a saviour. Number two, meditate on the hope of Jesus coming again, of your heavenly home. Long for it, yearn for it, pray for it. There's something deeply reassuring, motivating and hope-giving. When we look beyond what's in front of us, what we're feeling, the circumstances that we're in, and when we remember where the finish line is, when we can see what awaits us after that finish line, it can help us to keep going now. So meditate on those things. Meditate on eternity. You know what? Next week's sermon, Advent sermon, is on hope. Come to that. That's going to be, you know, really, really encouraging. And the third one <clears throat> is for the parents. Build a God-centered anticipation and expectancy and excitement into your home around Christmas, especially for the kids. If, if you're excited about Christ coming, they will be too. And so be creative to make the wonder of the King's arrival visible for your kids. You know what? I'm going to add a fourth. <laughs> Christmas carols. So much truth. So much truth about the coming of Jesus, about him coming again, just to prepare our hearts all the season ahead. Get a Spotify playlist with Christmas carols. Yeah. And so as we live in this time between the ages, <clears throat> as we wait for and long for Jesus to return, hear Jesus' words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Believe in Jesus. He has prepared the way to the Father. He will bring us home. And so let's wait patiently. Let's wait faithfully. Let's prepare our hearts for Christmas, remembering why we need a Savior and that He has come in Jesus. Why don't I pray? Father, we uh, just thank you, Lord, that in this Christmas season, you have, we can reflect on the fact that you have come near. That you, the God who was enthroned in heaven, left your heavenly home and came to earth in the humility of the manger. And Father, while Advent season is a time to look back, we also have been reminded that it's a time to look forward. To look forward to the hope that we have in heaven and to hold ever more closely to you. We thank you that it is your faithfulness that holds us, not our faithfulness. And so we just put our faith and our trust in you this morning. Trusting that you are doing a good work in all of us. And we look forward to that day when we can finally rest with you in your presence. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.